0: on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James.
1: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes, mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to devour your marriage. He's looking to devour your kids. Pray. Pray in the spirit. Resist the devil, James says here, and he will flee. Be wise about the ways that he works. Stand your guard. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So we have to be aware of these things. Our flesh, the world, and the devil all working against us. But greater is he, the Lord, in us, than he that is in
0: the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he reminds you that as a disciple of Jesus, you have a target on your back from the enemy. The enemy prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan doesn't like that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Therefore, he will try all that he can to devour and discourage you in your faith. Pastor Gary encourages you to keep relying on the Lord for his guidance and empowerment. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: I'll just read a little bit of it from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25, where he exhorts the church of Galatia, exhorting us by the Spirit. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, it's a decision. Walk in the ways of the Spirit. Honor God. Do what is pleasing to Him, but don't gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on, he says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Can anybody relate? There are times, like you have good intentions, you want to honor God, you want to live for God, but sometimes the flesh rises up and gets in the way of that, right? And so this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5, verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists just a few just to give us a reminder of some of the stuff we struggle with in our flesh. He says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So this is his point. He's saying the reason that there's quarreling among you, the reason there's strife, the reason that there's contention and, and all of this arguing and bickering. He says it's, it's, it's just because you've allowed the flesh to be exalted in your life and you're not walking in the spirit. So this is true for a church. This is true for a marriage. This is true for relationships. This is true for anything that when we yield to the things of the flesh, there's going to be conflict, strife, and there's going to be all kinds of, of, of terrible things. But the more we walk in the Spirit and we die to self, we crucify the flesh, then we have less of these things going on. And so he challenges us in this way. And then he's basically going to say this. Okay, if if the flesh is the root of your arguing and your problems, he says the root of the flesh, at least in terms of the influence of our flesh, is the world. Is the world. And and this is why he speaks here about... Um, in, 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 when, he calls, when he calls us out as adulterers and adulteresses in verse 4, what he, he's using an Old Testament term of infidelity because what he's saying is if, if we have this love affair with the world, it's like we're in spiritual adultery with God. Because the love affair with the world is what feeds our flesh, and the more our flesh is fed, then the more we live like the rest of the world. And so, no wonder why there's conflict and arguing and strife in the church, in your marriage, right? So that's why he he, he adds there in verse four. He says, "Whoever he says, do do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God?" Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now that's strong language here, and don't miss what he's saying here, because the church has to be relevant and has to be relational with the world. Otherwise, the world is never going to know what you know, which is, you know, the love of Christ and salvation through faith in him. So we can't cut ourselves off from the world, but it's the idea of friendship with the world. Now, when you think about your friends, and you know the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. You commonly pick your friends because you naturally find that you have shared interests, shared values, shared uh, likes and dislikes. There's a commonality there. And so you get along and you hang out together and you spend time together and you enjoy each other's companies. That's what friends do. Alright? Versus acquaintances. Now you and all you and I all have friends, and we also have acquaintances. And we all know that acquaintances don't have the same relationship with you like your friends. And even among your friends, you have some closer ones, the closest of your friends, who are kind of like in your inner circle, like people who that you, you really hang out with, you really let your hair down with, okay? And then outside of that there are friends, and then beyond that there are acquaintances. But your acquaintances, you know, you don't necessarily have shared interests, shared values. You just kind of, you know, brush up against them every now and again, have contact with them, pleasantries, you exchange pleasantries. Um, Maybe you, you know, you work together, but you, you don't hang out together. All right? That's the idea here. Don't hang out with the world. The world should be your acquaintance, but not your friend. You should have enough contact with the world that you're influencing the world like salt and light. Jesus talked about how we're to be salt and light in our world. We're to influence our world. We are to flavor our world. Salt like an antiseptic. Sometimes, you know, when we're speaking the truth, it can, you know, be a little painful for, for people, but it's, but yet it's that antiseptic truth of God's Word. So there, there's contact that we have with the world. There's, there's the, the acquaintance of the world. Just don't make the world your friend just don't be hanging out because it is impossible listen to me on this it is impossible for you to walk with Christ and and have as part of your life the values and the standard and the truth of Christ while at the same time sharing the values and the standards of this world it's impossible Because those things are in direct opposition to one another, and increasingly so as we get closer to the return of Christ. The values and the standard of God are often diametrically opposed to the values and standards of our world. So it is impossible to be friends with both. You're going to have to choose. What James is saying here is, if you're a true Christ follower, you're going to want to be an acquaintance of the world, but just not a friend with the world. You're not going to hang out with the world, do what the world does, talk like the world talks, go to the places the world goes, and do some of the things that the world does. You're going to want to be somebody who pleases God, and that life looks very different. We have some interns who were serving here this summer, and one of our interns, we were out at lunch today, several of us, and one one of our interns said to me, and he goes to a Christian college, a Christian university. And he said, "When I got there with some of my high school Christian friends, it became evident that as soon as we quote had our freedom, we're on college campus now. That some of my high school college friends have decided to veer in a different direction, even at a college university. And I and he said, he said I had to make the, the decision. I just I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't I can't be like 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 you guys want me to be because it's in conflict with my walk with Christ." Even at Christian universities now. Because people are making a decision. Do I really want to live for the Lord, or am I going to live for the world? You can't do both. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, in the church, meaning in a relationship with Christ, and, and, and think that that works. It doesn't work. And so James is saying here, here that friendship, you know, loving the world and having a relationship with the world and, and, and acting like the world... That's in conflict with the relationship with the Lord. So there are some warnings in Scripture about worldliness, uh, and the first two are right here out of the book of James. The first one is what we're talking about. Number one, do not befriend the world. That's James 4:4. But James also talks about not being polluted. Uh, by the world in James one twenty seven, where he says this, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted or unpolluted from the world. We also read in Scripture in, uh, that the Bible tells us, uh, do not love the world. 1 John 2. 15 and to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Number four, the Bible also warns about not being conformed. To the world in Romans twelve two it says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and one more there's a warning in all of this not to be condemned with the world in First Corinthians eleven thirty two it says but when we are judged we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with The world. So there are times that God disciplines us because he sees us veering off the path and he doesn't want us to be condemned, swept up in the condemnation that the world's going to experience, those who don't know Christ and have rejected him. So there are times we experience discipline in our lives because that's because God loves us enough to say, I don't want you to go the way of the world. So even though I'm spanking you right now and it's, and it's unpleasant, it's because I love you enough not to give you over to the world because he doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. And so James writes here about all of this. And one of the two of the things that he says here in this first section that I just want to point out especially for those of you taking notes, is that a life in the flesh, slash, of the world, number one, is incomplete. In other words, not satisfying. Because he uses these different phrases throughout. You can glance again at your Bibles there in verse Two, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have. He uses that phrase again. Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And I V says ask with wrong motives, and you may spend it on, you know, your own selfish pleasures. So what he's saying here is it's this uns living in the flesh and living for the world in the end is very unsatisfying. It's it's this futile way of attempting to live out your life without any real sense of satisfaction because the the ultimate satisfaction that the human soul needs and will experience can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know for those of you who might be skeptics and think that is a ridiculous statement to make, I'm just saying the, the ultimate, the ultimate. You will find a measure of satisfaction in this life, apart from Christ. There, there are different things that you can do that bring temporary satisfaction, that bring a temporary sense of purpose, but it's all temporary. The ultimate satisfaction, the eternal satisfaction that comes in our lives is in knowing the Lord, and this world simply cannot deliver on what it promises Only the Lord can And the other thing that he makes mention of here Is that a life of the flesh A life of the world Is incompatible with God And that's that whole part about friendship With the world system uh, Or with the culture itself Is just incompatible with God So we have to make a difference In our world We have to uh, make a difference In our culture And the culture is never going to be attracted to something if it looks too much like themselves. We have to offer the culture something different. The culture needs to see in us something that is unique. So we're not saying to be different and to not engage in friendship with the world because we're trying to be standoffish or we're trying to be holier than thou or we're trying to be too good. You know, to to mix with people who don't go to church. It's none of that stuff. It is living a distinct life that, for the glory of God, that is unique enough that the outside world that doesn't know Christ will be attracted to what we have, you see. And, and if, if we simply are doing what they do and talking like they talk and living like they, like they live they're never going to want anything we have because it looks too much like their own lives. So we have to offer them the genuine relationship with Christ that is sincere, that is without hypocrisy, that is, that is you know not living one way in the church on the Sunday and living another way during the week. People want to see something that is authentic. People want to see something that is genuine. People want to see something that, is, that they are attracted to And we cannot offer them that if we're just simply living life like they live. Well, he goes on here to say that the the key to this is humility, is humility. That's why he adds there in verse 6 that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's quoting there from Proverbs 3 verse 34. And he adds now, verse 7, look again at your Bibles, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'd like you to circle or underline or highlight devil there in verse 7, and then go back up in in verse 4 and highlight or circle the word world, where it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world... And then also in verse 1, where it talks about your desires for pleasure that war in your members. And just in the margin of your Bible there, you can write flesh. Okay, so you have flesh in verse 1. You have world in verse 4. You have devil in verse 7. And everybody needs to be aware of something I've said many times here from the pulpit, that there are three things that work in concert against us as Christians. And those three things James captures here between verses 1 through 7 of James chapter 4. And they are what I just mentioned. Our flesh, the world, and the devil. There are three things that are constantly working against us. Number one is our own flesh. The desires of our fleshly nature that, again, keep creeping up. And we have to keep dying to self. You know, I'm so glad my kids are now older, married, and away from Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) But back in the day, there's still Chuck E. Cheese, right? Okay. Back in the day, when you have to do what parents do, and you're just like, oh, you put up with stuff, like, okay, all right. Like, you know, we'll sit down and we'll we'll watch Barney again for the thousandth time until I'm as purple as that dinosaur, um, and then we'll take them to Chuck E. Cheese and among other things, right? And there was that game at Chuck E. Cheese. The only real game that I liked because I could take out my frustration for having to be there was, was that, uh, that that mole or groundhog, whatever that, the prairie dog, what, whatever that kept, and you had the mallet, and, and every time one of the prairie dogs came up out of the hole, you'd just be like, whack! And then another one would come out like, whack! You know, that was the best. <laughs> That was the best. I'm like, I'm going to go to Chuck E. Cheese just to be able to beat that prairie dog. Let me tell you something. That is a picture of your life every day as a Christian. That's the picture. Every time you start to feel angry, you're just like, whack, I got to hit the flesh. Every time you start to feel those fleshly things starting to rise up, you got to just go whack because otherwise it's going to take over your life our flesh wars against us. It is in conflict with our spirit. Our spirit wants to please God. Our spirit wants to do what is right. Our spirit wants to obey Jesus. Our flesh doesn't. Our flesh wants to do everything your spirit doesn't want to do. And guess what? They're both living within you now, you know? But well, before you became a Christian, it was no problem. Prairie dogs were running free, you didn't have any conscience about anything. Prairie dogs running free. All right. Then you become a Christian. And now you have like conviction about things and you, you really recognize this isn't right. And it, it, that used to be okay. Now it's not. And so what, so our flesh is still, you know, this, this thing that has to be reckoned with on a regular basis. Our flesh is working against us. Number two, of course, is the world. Our culture is not getting any better. It is off the rails. Crazy. It really is. It's off the rails crazy now. What, what is happening? What is being tolerated? What is being celebrated? And, and our world wants you to look and act just like it. And so the world is constantly trying to get you to think just like they think, talk just like they talk, believe what they believe. And you have to constantly be you know, fighting against that influence of the world. And it's, you know, it's a delicate thing because you you don't want to be like the world, but you want to influence the world. You don't want allow to the, allow the world to shape you into its image, but you want to bring Christ so that people can come to know who he is, that they might be shaped in his image. And so it's a constant challenge for us. And it it's not getting easier. It's not going to get any easier because the world is going to you know, news bulletin. The world is going to unravel even more before the return of Christ. But this is our mission field. When we leave a church, the church building, every Sunday and every Wednesday night, you're heading into the mission field. And we need to weep for souls. Before we can be winners of souls, we have to first be weepers of souls. And then thirdly is is the devil. We don't blame the devil for everything. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Um, But he is certainly working against us and his minions with him in the spirit realm. Um, There is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Paul writes almost an entire chapter in Ephesians chapter 6 about it. We have to be wise about these things. The enemy, the devil, Satan, hates you because... You look just like your father, and he will do everything he can to oppress and to tempt and to deceive. He is a liar and the father of lies, the Bible says. He is a murderer. He wants nothing good for you. You know, Satan knows Scripture. He just doesn't abide by it. He quotes Scripture. Remember that time that he tempted Jesus, and he, and he quoted Scripture to Jesus, He knows his ultimate demise. And so he simply wants to take as many people with him as possible. Be on your guard. Peter says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to devour your marriage. He's looking to devour your kids. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Resist the devil. James says here, and he will flee. Be wise about the ways that he works. Stand your guard. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So we have to be aware of these things. Our flesh, the world, and the devil, all working against us. But greater is he, the Lord, in us than he that is in the world. And may we stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, that we might please him, that we might walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh.
0: Ocean, jump in your connection, run your new life. Pastor Gary Hamrick is bringing us through the book of James. In the current series on Cornerstone Connection, the book of James is filled with incredible words to live by, like these. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. These are hard words to practice, but James gives us a reason. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is nothing more beautiful than a faithful heart, but the path to growing one is filled with hard things. James tells us in chapter 1 verse 4 that when steadfastness has had its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So next time you face a trial or hardship, remember these words from James and begin to count it all joy. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Do you live in the area? Take the next step and come see us in person. We would love to share a Sunday service with you at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 in the morning. We're also here every Wednesday night at 7. When you enter into community, you start to grow in the faith at a faster pace. We'd love to be that community for you. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be right here again next time. Come back and see us as we learn how to follow Jesus more closely together on Cornerstone Connection. They say